Talk Radio Show brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence, and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2.com. Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Hey, good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in to the Talent Talk radio show and uh, joining me as I talk to uh, two great guests today who we have lined up. So, Talent Talk, uh, in case this is the first time you're tuning in, really centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. So, these are all timely topics for CEOs and entrepreneurs, HR pros, and really just any business leader out there that you know is thinking about how to make their company a little bit better. So I hope that you can tune in here each week, uh, whether it's live or the broadcast that we do uh, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on Tuesdays, or whether it's um, through the podcast on iTunes or on the iHeartRadio app um, that you hear something that you can uh, take away and help you impact your own career in a positive way. What usually happens is I usually will meet a lot of the people that are on the show ahead of time at some sort of an event that I've attended or a place that I've spoken or maybe I've run across them on LinkedIn or kind of just identify them as a thought leader. And so this show is really designed to give you an opportunity to listen in on some of the topics and things that that I, I would love to talk about with people. And that way you can hear our conversation and, and hopefully learn something that you can use down the road. So as I mentioned, Talent Talk is live here every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And it can be accessed through the podcast, through the website, talenttalkradio.com, iTunes, iHeartRadio. Now we're syndicated there. And we've really amassed a great following of over uh, 260,000 of you who are downloading the podcast, uh, one of the podcasts last week. And a big thank you to all of you who show up here regularly live or in the car, whenever it's convenient, uh, on your treadmill to, to listen in. Finally, before we get to our guests, if you have any questions for them uh, or any questions or uh, suggestions in uh, general, please send them to us via Twitter. Just uh, pop that in. If you have room to add the at PeopleG2, that'd be great. Otherwise, just make sure you get the hashtag talent talk in there so my producer Mike can find it. And if it's uh, topical here for today's conversation, we'll get it in there. And um, we will uh, pop them into the show. So... My guests today are Kelly uh, Basoko, excuse me, Director of Human Resources at Parco Inc., and Amy Morin, a psychotherapist and author of 13 Things That Mentally Strong People Don't Do. So hopefully uh, none of the things we do are on that list. Amy will be with me in the second half of the show, but let's go ahead and get to my first guest. Uh, Kelly, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. So tell everyone a little bit about yourself, probably the correct way to say your last name. I've probably screwed that up. I usually do that at least once per show, get someone's name wrong. But um, let us know what you're doing with human resources and kind of what's going on with you. Okay, thank you. Soko is my last name, and you, you, you did it right. I am the um, founder and principal consultant at Encompass Consulting, and uh, I am helping business owners eliminate their headaches by helping them develop and improve their people processes. And what are some of the, you know, what's kind of the hot topic right now for you here starting off in 2016? The biggest thing I've been encountering uh, is handling of leaves. Small businesses are 
are really confused on some of the leaves and how to administer it. And then also the skill gaps that we're finding with trying to recruit people. Yeah, especially you said in California, there's been some changes on leaves and vacation pays and sick pays and all kinds of things to implement. So, yeah, those are uh, confusing for for those that maybe have an attorney on speed dial, let alone anybody else who maybe isn't used to thinking about some of those things. So you've been a human resources manager in your career for, for large companies and what do you see are, are some of the biggest challenges facing companies when it, when it really comes to things like, let's say, talent recruitment or development and retention? Sure. Um, the biggest thing I'm seeing is lack of qualified or skilled talent. You know, even like machine operators or maintenance mechanics, we need the skilled talent so they can problem solve. And then, of course, the aging workforce, which we've all been hearing about for years. And then... Historically, companies have really worked to develop the senior members of their company, but they haven't haven't really worked on the everyday members and developing them. And then, so the employees they get tired of waiting around. They get tired of waiting for the opportunities. So you know we need to challenge employers to find new ways of keeping them engaged. You know, put the employee in charge of learning, and then the employer can just kind of steer them to the right field. And is some of that coming from, you know, certainly when, as we're coming out of this recession, we saw, you know, a lot of slashing of education budgets and development and training, things like that. So is this kind of a, the lasting kind of remnants of, of, of companies not making those investments and trying to save money for a period of time? I think so. But, uh, you know, you can really get creative with hooking an, an employee up with a mentor or you know, encouraging them to get involved in associations in their field. So it, one size isn't going to fit everyone, um, but putting an employee in charge of, of where they really want to go and then being there to, to guide them and lead them, mm-hmm. I think will be will go a long way with keeping retention. Yeah, I mean, a lot of things that they can do that don't cost them money or maybe will cost them very little that certainly can help people in their own career. So it's, it's, a, it's a good point. Yeah, I also wonder, too, if maybe some of that is just doesn't really matter if there was a recession. I mean, do our companies sort of guilty of not, you know, working with and fostering those people in the middle or, or, or towards the bottom? I mean, like you said, only kind of focusing on their senior people. Do you think some companies are, are guilty of that on a regular basis? Yes, I think a lot of companies are, are guilty of that. You know, supervisors don't want their employees gone for days. Uh, you know, they want the work still get done people are competing for any type of learning opportunity so yeah companies are definitely i don't think they realize the full impact of of ignoring or just not being in touch with that group right well i know you made the move to become a consultant around 2014 and i'm sure that was kind of an exciting time to go from you know where you were before to you know, being a consultant is also being an entrepreneur. It's being you know a business owner and out there having to to make it for yourself, which is sort of ties into both themes here of, of of the show. And so now you're helping companies, you know, assess their business needs and looking at compliance and things like that. So, what's really kind of your motivation in, in making that change, and what's keeping you going here every day? Uh, I really had planned for this for a couple of years on just striking out on my own, and. The reason, one reason, was when I was working for larger companies, 
HR was always seen as the barrier or the headache. They viewed us pretty much as just being the police, uh, policing all the policies and, and just stopping them. And then the processes were slowed down because, you know, working in a large entity, you have to get a lot of buy-in, you have to go through all this red tape. So with consulting, um, what I've, I've been getting so far is I'm getting involved after a lawsuit or a, a claim, but at that point I'm being viewed as a partner because I'm there to help them. You know, business owners, they, they just don't have the time or they, or they won't take the time to explore what really needs to be done. But, mm-hmm. you know, ultimately we would like to educate the businesses to be proactive and then prevent the lawsuits and the claims. And as far as what keeps me going is I, I love what I'm doing. And I love to be able to help people and kind of guide them and hopefully prevent any issues going forward. Sure. And that's always a challenge. A lot of companies don't want to put in the time or the effort or the money to, to prevent things. It's sort of a, well, if it hasn't happened to me yet, then it's not going to happen to me. And yet so many times companies regret that sort of line of thinking, but they get kind of lulled into that false sense of security and, and not dealing with your know, compliance problems or you know, maybe having a bad manager or lack of training or whatever it may be. Is there a particular area where you see people kind of consistently making that incorrect bet that they think they're not going to have a problem and yet they almost always do? I, I do. I see it mostly with smaller family-owned businesses or businesses that have grown fast and they haven't had time to have an HR person or they haven't seen the necessity so um, that that seems to be all of a sudden they're over that 50 employee threshold or or just the new compliance laws that have gone into effect and and if they're if they don't know to look for it it's getting them in trouble well that makes a lot of sense um, especially in I don't I don't know with all the different states where it's it but there's certainly you know in California certain responsibilities you have when you hit 25 and there's certain responsibilities you have when you hit 50. So those are important things to know as companies are growing and adding people that your compliance changes, what you have to do changes, what your responsibilities are to your staff and things like that. And, and it really can be uh, can be overwhelming if you haven't thought about it. And I guess the, the, that that's why you're in business, why they're going to bring you in to to help them with some of those challenges and hopefully before they have a lawsuit or a complaint or, or something, right? Right. And, you know, in California, it's, it's exciting to be here in HR because there's always something on the horizon, always a policy <laughs> or regulation changing or something new or, you know, just something changing that really keeps you on guard. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, uh, one of the things we love to kind of talk about a little bit is, you know, companies are always trying to find those talented individuals to hire and there's always that kind of cliche out there looking for a people uh can really help you move your organization forward so even if a company seems to have everything going for it what are some of the things that you know you see that might deter some of those a players you know from, from really making a commitment to a company if they see a limit on their growth potential or a lack of control on projects that they're supposed to manage, um, even not being involved in the decisions, 
will make them not want to join the company. They need to have their contributions really tied to large achievements and, and success. So you can't give them the mundane jobs. They really you have to set them up where they can really use those A-type personality traits. Right, absolutely. And, and, and I was, you know, kind of wanted to, you know, kind of go deeper and look at, we were talking about with the HR, um, you know, kind of thought process. And, you know, one of the things you, you just kind of alluded to with, it's always kind of exciting in California for an HR person. It, you know, there's something new on the horizon all the time. And yet we kind of look at HR as being uh, a department where, uh, maybe you are going to think a little bit more conservatively. You're going to slow things down, or you're going to try to um, help keep the company compliant. So there might be this misconception of it being uh, slower moving, or more conservative, or uh, risk adverse things like that. But you know, as things are changing, HR really needs to be forward thinking. So you know, how, how does HR really you know fulfill one end of that and yet be forward thinking in another? <clears throat> HR needs to stay forward thinking because of all the regulatory changes and then making sure everybody stays compliant and then you know like technology is changing so fast it's, it's going to change our recruitment just the recruitment pool that we have out there and we have the global business with laws that are changing and then we we have to look and evaluate our issues that could come up and what responses we may have and that really kind of helps hr you know, get move as they are more forward thinking and, and bringing those different types of solutions to the organization. That really ups the chance that HR will continue to be invited to that strategic table, to those strategic conversations, as opposed to just being a tactical. Hey, you know, we've already decided what's going to happen. Now go go make it happen. So, w- what does HR need to continue to bring to the table to ensure that they are at those very strategic level conversations within an organization? you have to be familiar with what the business leaders are challenged with and then look for the creative solutions and then also look at how you can tie your HR goals into the company's mission. Yeah, and 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 yet, you know, there's still, are you seeing that companies are still, I don't know if it's reluctant is the wrong word, but maybe just not thinking about HR in that way to be a strategic partner? Yeah, it, that is a, a little bit of a barrier. They see us more as handling benefits or, or payroll issues. They don't always understand or that we see the big picture as well, and we're looking down the road with them to see what, what's going to pop up on the horizon and how we can be prepared for it. Sure. Yeah, and there's definitely some really you know, kind of key things that uh, they can really address. You know, things like uh, onboarding and employee engagement, uh, dealing with different management styles, you know, vision of the company, the culture. These are all pretty important things that, you know, companies should be thinking about really bringing HR in to to help with. You know, in your opinion, what do you see as the number one reason, maybe besides compensation or things like that, that a person chooses to really align themselves with an organization? You know, is it culture? Is it is it leadership opportunities? What's sort of that main thing that people are looking for? Yeah, they need to know that they're going to contribute in a meaningful way, meaningful way, and that they will be involved. And they need to support the company mission. You know, take it on, have their own passion for that, 
I think benefits are going to be big. Uh, parental leaves, generous leave policies, things like telecommuting, retirements, wellness. I think we're really going to get back to a lot of benefits really having a big impact. And, and what kind of benefits do you mean? We can go a little deeper with that. Like the, um, the parental leaves, it seems like now people, men and women, are, are interested in taking more time off after the birth of a child or to stay home and, you know, work from home one or two days a week if they have child care issues, uh, being able to take off to take their child to the doctor. They need that flexibility. Yeah, and then those are some easy things. Maybe not easy, but they are... There, there are specific things that companies can can think about doing, even if uh, you know staff don't use them very often. If they're a part of that benefit and it's something they talk about and they remind them about, and it's sort of at the forefront of, of that employee's thought process that hey, if if we do have a kid, you know I'm going to be able to take some time off. If I have a sick parent, I'm going to be able to take some time off and help that person. If I have a sick spouse or things like that. That's almost like a peace of mind type of a a benefit, and you know, in most cases, that you're never going to have to, or they're not going to have to use it. If they do, it's not going to be very often. Uh, but it's amazing to me how many employers don't have anything like that in there. And if someone needs to take that time off, they, you know, will let them go and go find somebody else. Um, yeah, they get very uncomfortable with it because they're not, they're not sure if it's going to escalate, if it's going to get out of control, if everybody suddenly is going to want to take off. A half a day every week for the doctor or child care. So they just, you, you focus on performance with employees. And I just having, I've heard from so many people that they've stayed at companies even though they don't pay well because they have the freedom of taking off to go see their child's school play or take their child to the doctor, take their parent to the doctor, things like that. Yeah, I mean, that's it's huge uh, to be able to, and it almost seems ridiculous that you're able to actually go to the doctor. You know, you're, you can take a few hours off to go to the doctor that your employer would allow that. I mean, you know, and you're, it's, there's so many companies that uh, don't do that kind of stuff. Right. Well, be, well, before we go here, I want to make sure we ask our uh, favorite question, and that is, is there a book you're reading right now that you might tell us about? Yes. Uh, the one I'm reading right now is the HR Scorecard, you know, linking people, strategy, and performance. And how to measure what is important when you're measuring. That's that's what I've just started reading. Well, that sounds like an interesting book. And just a reminder to everyone listening, we do do a blog recap on peopleg2.com, and we list out kind of all the, the best things that our guests talked about. And we do specifically put the books in there. So in case you don't have a pen ready right now, you can, you can get that later on by visiting that uh, the blog. And we'll have a link to that book where you can check it out. Um, so many of our guests give us some of the best book ideas, so I really appreciate you suggesting that one for us. I know a lot of our listeners love to pick up the next book that their colleagues are reading. Uh, so, uh, final question for you, um, you know, Kelly: What, what, um, or how can people uh, reach you if they're interested in learning more about your uh, consulting? Sure, um, they can get a hold of me at Kelly at Encompass Consulting SoCal dot com. Uh, Encompass Consulting SoCal is also my website. And then uh, my office phone is 909-920-9918. Well, Kelly, it was really great to have you on the show. Really, really appreciate you being here. And uh, we'd love to stay in touch and uh, see how you're doing down the road. Great. Thank you.
All right, up next is Amy Warren. Uh, she'll be on here after this quick commercial break. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. As a reminder, if you have a question for my next guest, you can send it to us via Twitter. Just pop in that question, finish it off with a hashtag Talent Talk. My producer, Mike, will try to feed it over to me uh, via our little uh, Hip Chat IM program today, and uh, I'll try to, to ask it. So uh, don't forget, you can also visit us on the uh, podcast on iTunes, the uh, iHeartRadio app uh, on iHeartRadio.com. You can find us there all of our past shows, and, of course, TalentTalkRadio.com. So let's go ahead and get to my next guest, uh, Amy Morin, uh, psychotherapist and author of 13 Things Mentally Strong People Do. So, Amy, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. So please tell everyone a little bit uh, about yourself, uh, your background, and what you're currently up to. I'm a therapist by trade, and so since about 2002 or so, I was um, working in a therapy office and seeing people with problems ranging from depression to anxiety to just stress in general, and uh, sort of on the side, one of my jobs was as I wrote a few articles here and there, and a few years ago, I had an article that went crazy viral, and I got an opportunity to turn it into my book, 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do. And now I mostly do speaking engagements and train people how to become mentally stronger. So why do you think your book, uh, 13 Things That Mentally Strong People Don't Do, uh, ha- has gotten so much traction? You know, what, what do you think that was kind of sparked that initial, initial fire there to that? You know, I think it was a couple of things. I think when the article went around, it was, it was different at the time. They ran on a lot of lists about what not to do. And also, I think the um, subject of mental strength is something that most people don't know that much about. We talk so much about physical strength, but people aren't sure. How do you build mental strength, and what does that mean, and what what can I do to become mentally stronger? And so I've been so excited that um, so many people from all around the world have been interested in learning, how do I build my mental muscle? It's been so exciting to me. 
Yeah, I mean, there's been a, a recently a lot of movement in the neuroleadership uh, aspect, and people really seem to be excited to try to learn more about that part of it. So, you know, how, do, how does someone then, you know, kind of train their brain for success? Well, there's a few things that, that you can do. It's really about deciding, well, what are the daily habits I'm going to have, and then what are the things that are holding me back? And that's really why I wrote a list about what not to do, because I think there's so many habits that we all get into and that we get stuck and they just sort of become a lifestyle for us and we don't even often don't even know that we're doing them but they keep us stuck it's like a hamster in a wheel and you just don't get anywhere until you give up those things and so there's so much out there on the market now about adding more good habits to your life but i think most of us you know are trying our best there's just not enough hours left in the day to keep adding more and so when you start subtracting a few things you can be much more efficient and you can really work on those things in life that are most important to you and then ultimately train your brain for success because you're focusing all your energy on the things that you really need to move forward rather than wasting time and energy on the things that really don't matter as much right well, I'm going to ask you here in a second, maybe talk a little bit about a few of the 13. And I know one of the things that I kind of was an aha moment for me in looking at, you know, when I was in one place and wanted to be to another, what were my peers or mentors or people I looked up to trying to identify differences or things I thought they did a better job at and at that time? And one of the things I identified was being disciplined. Um, they seem to have a different level of discipline than I did about certain things, um, whether it was staying focused or whether it was, you know, staying with that task a little bit longer. So that's always been something that I work on. And so at that point, I would have said I was not as mentally strong as I maybe am now. And I'm sure there are probably people out there that feel like they're not mentally strong or they, they you know, suffer in that area. So do, do you... Does that kind of correlate with, with what you're talking about? Do you, do you feel like that is a, something that does affect people and their overall ability to be successful, that, that concept of being mentally strong? Yeah, I think no matter what somebody's goal is, you know, I work with anybody from stay-at-home parents who say, you know, I don't want to yell at my kids anymore. How do I, how do I really reach that goal to be a more patient parent? To elite athletes who are going for gold medal or business executives who say, you know, I need to really up my game, whether they're climbing the corporate ladder or it's an entrepreneur who says, you know, I need to be able to compete. And, and it's really about saying, okay, well, then no matter what your goal is, you need the mental strength to get there. Otherwise, there's going to be days when you don't feel like getting out of bed or you're not as motivated anymore. And how do you push yourself and how do you keep moving forward on, on the times when it's really tough and when you're going through other challenges in life. And so it's really mental strength is really the key to, to getting you there, despite whatever your goals are. Yeah, and those sound like, you know, some pretty important things that people might want to focus on. Um, I'm not sure how you ever get to a point where you don't yell at your kids, except don't have kids. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> but maybe we could talk a little bit about you know, some of those uh, 13 things um, that you suggested that people don't do. So I, I know one of them was that uh, don't give, they don't give away their power. So, so how do people do that? How do they not give away their power uh, on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, now that I go out and I do speaking engagements is afterward. That seems to be the one that people want to come up and talk to me about the most, whether it's... Uh, 
um, an athletic association or it's a government organization, and I'm speaking to high-powered executives, is that we all tend to have times when we give away our power. And what that really means is that we blame other people for how we think or how we feel or how we behave. So whether somebody says, my boss makes me work late, or they say, my mother-in-law makes me feel bad about myself, taking back your power is often just about changing your language and recognizing the choices that you have. And yeah, maybe there's consequences if you cut out of work on time, but it's your choice. And just recognizing that can make all the difference in the world, because when we walk around with a mentality like a victim, it really influences how we feel about ourselves, how we feel about other people, and how we view the world in general. Taking back your power is really about just saying, okay, from the time I wake up until the time I go to bed at night, I've got thousands of choices I can make, and it's up to me how I make those choices. And no matter what goes on around me, I can still control my effort, and I can control my attitude. And it really makes a big difference in how you approach life and how you approach challenges that come your way when you do take back your power. Yeah, and it, it and I can see why people would come up to you because you know it's it's a very challenging one and, and one that's easy to say but maybe not so easy to, to do in practice because you know somebody someone says something or does something to you that you know you have a strong you have a relationship with a boss a, a parent what have you it's hard not to get upset or be emotional and then you know then they they, they, they take that power away from you. Um, you know, we we're, we always maybe attempt to be zen about things, but that, that's not always what happens in real life. So I'm sure that's one that people really struggle with. But it sounds like one that's super important. Uh, it really you know, is. And sometimes yeah. it's just a matter of setting a physical boundary to say, no, you can't, you know, invade three hours of my time complaining, whether it's a friend or a neighbor or your in-laws or a coworker or somebody that, you know, infringes on your time. Or if it is somebody that seems to, you know, if you go home from a, a meeting and, spend the next four hours complaining to your spouse about how horrible it was, well, you've given that more power in your life than it needed to take. And so sometimes it's just really about setting those healthy boundaries for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the next one that we wanted to kind of talk about was, you know, that they don't shy away from change. And I love this one because a lot of the successful people that I admire, I notice that they are cutting edge. They are looking for the next big thing. They are constantly searching for ways in which they can get better, change their organizations. And yet, I, you know, I look at the opposite of people who are struggling, who are complaining, who say, you know, business is bad, and they're so fixed in their mindset, and they're so fixed in their routines and the things that they do, and they won't try new ideas. That makes a lot of sense, but it's a really hard thing for people to do if they're not used to, to, to making changes. They're used to hey, I get up and have the same cup of coffee every morning and I come home and I watch the same TV shows and, and what have you. So you know, how can accepting change help one's outlook and ability to really adapt these you know, new realities and to be more successful? Yeah, we really know, you know the world is changing faster than most of us um, want it to in a lot of ways. And success is often about your ability to adapt and to keep up. And, you know, you have two choices. You can either dig in your heels and say, I don't want to do anything different, but it's not going to stop other people and the rest of the world from changing. And so to be able to say, okay, well, then how do I just embrace it? How do I go with the flow? How do I welcome new opportunities? And sometimes it's just a matter of stepping outside of your comfort zone a little bit. And the more that you practice that, the more confidence you'll get in your ability to handle change. Often the biggest obstacle is our 
inability to recognize that we can handle it. We talk ourselves out of it. We convince ourselves it's uncomfortable and I can't do it. And so to be able to really change that whole mindset and to be able to tell yourself, okay, I can try something new. I can do something different and, and that's okay. And I can welcome new things. And often we have this fear that just because something's different, we know that it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be better, but it also doesn't mean it's going to be worse. And if you can just try to adapt and go with the flow and, and try to change as those things around you are changing, it can really make a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, even if it's just small things, I mean, you know, I, I think about the, the applicant, the average applicant 10 years ago, and we would have said, you know, we want them to maybe know how to type and we would have given them training in how to use Microsoft Office or these different things. But today we expect people to show up with those skills and they already know them. And that, that's a big amount of change. So there's so many things that we ask people to already know. It becomes a kind of sub part of our culture that you should already know how to use a webcam. You should already know how to use Microsoft Office. You should be able to do all of these things and, and people who don't change and learn those things suddenly can find themselves, you know, kind of pushed out of the marketplace or being a viable candidate who can, you know, work for the best companies or make the best salary or things like that. Yeah, and I think there are so many different areas of our lives where someone might be able to change easily in one area of their life. It's the, we dig in our heels in another area. And as a therapist, I don't know how many times I've gone to a meeting where we talk about, you know, a client's um, unwillingness to make a change in their life and then five minutes later there'll be a therapist complaining about you know some computer change that's coming down the pike and you know how unfair <laughs> it is that our software is going to be upgraded or something like that and you think well you know again it's all about being open to change in, in lots of different areas of your life and even when it's uncomfortable for you right absolutely well the next one was the the, the successful people they don't fear calculated risks so I've given this example before. It's like if anyone knows anything about blackjack. If you have a 10 and the, the dealer's showing a 6, I mean, not only are you going to bet, you're going to double down. I mean, it's like the odds say you're going to win and you're going to try to get the maximum amount of benefit out of that. And yet so many times people have a an opportunity and they either don't think about whether or not they have the advantage here, whether or not it is a good risk for them, or even if it is, they're will, not willing to take that step forward. They're not willing to, you know, stick their neck out, even because there is always that chance, no matter how good the odds, that it doesn't work out for you. But you have to be willing to do that. So, you know, this is a very entrepreneurial trait, but, you know, how does that fall into other people who maybe aren't entrepreneurs that, you know, are, are working in the average job uh, that they, you know, need to take those calculated risks? Yeah, you know, I think whether it's somebody said, you know, I'm going to apply for a promotion, that can be a calculated risk, or it's something you personalize. I'm going to apply for a loan, or I'm going to enter into a new relationship, or buy a new house, or um, whatever it might be. But to know that, in reality, I find that most of us are pretty bad at calculating risk. We think it's directly related to our level of fear. If something feels scary, it must be really risky. Well, our uh, fear thermometers aren't very accurate when it comes to figuring out exactly how risky something is. You know, for example, so many people would drive somewhere, but those same people won't get in an airplane. And statistically, your chances are much greater that you could die in a car accident rather than in an airplane. But you think of how many people are terrified to fly. 
and and they won't do it just because it feels too risky. And I think to really examine in our own lives, well, just because it feels scary doesn't mean it is. And sometimes it's just a matter of learning how do you calculate risk more accurately so you can make good decisions. And and there are people on the other end of the spectrum who it's just too anxiety-provoking to really think about risk. So rather than think about it, they just decide that they're going to take the leap anyway and think, well, it'll either work out or it won't. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have people that just get stuck. They can't make a decision either way, and their indecision sort of becomes the decision for them where they just don't don't dare do anything. They just become paralyzed by fear. But when you really figure out how to calculate risk, you gain more confidence in your ability to take risks and to take the leap and to know that, okay, you might not always succeed, but, but that's okay and that you'll be okay either way. Yeah, and that really then, you know, that calculated risk kind of, really transitions well to the next one, which is they don't give up after the first failure. Because, you know, most really really good entrepreneurs fail constantly, but they learn from those failures and make the incremental changes or gigantic changes they need to make in order for the next one to be more likely to be a success. The next, you know, decision, the next opportunity, the next attempt, whatever it may be. But for a lot of people who are working in a mid-sized company and have a family, have a mortgage, and you know, taking that risk could be disagreeing with their boss. It could be, you know, presenting an idea or a new way of doing things, and that can. So if they fail that first time out, they might be afraid that that that's it for them. They're going to be viewed as stupid or you know, not knowing what they're talking about, things like that. But you know, if they can find that courage to keep doing it, it generally is a pretty good practice because you get really good at it. Is that what you're kind of, you know? Yeah, and it's really all about figuring out how do you, how do you learn from your failure? And I think that so often we get caught up in trying to either make excuses for our failure or we're embarrassed. So we try to cover it up or we minimize it. And when we do those sorts of things, you can't learn. You have to be open to learning and figuring out, okay, what did I learn from this experience so that I can move forward and do it better? But unfortunately, it's just this sort of humiliation or shame and all those sorts of uncomfortable emotions often get in the way of really taking responsibility so that you can move forward and and do better next time. Yeah, and it kind of gets in, and I've seen people that have maybe a particular mindset about something or maybe just a general mindset where, you know, they either only look at the negatives or they only look at the positives and both of those things can be dangerous instead of being practical and maybe evaluating it and saying, well, you know, these five things are good, these five things are bad, and then try to make that calculated decision. Um, do, you, do you think some of that plays into it that, you know, whether it's upbringing or what's happened in someone's life to that point, do they can they get kind of stuck into those you know, pockets of, of really viewing, you know, kind of with tunnel vision, I would say, only seeing certain parts of, of, of the equation. Definitely. And I think it can be part of our upbringing, how we viewed failure as a kid, plenty of kids, whether they were a perfectionist or they had parents who were harsh disciplinarians, maybe they learned to cover up some of their failures because they didn't want anybody to know because their self-esteem was tied in really closely with success and and for other kids who maybe failed several times early on and then thought well I can't succeed then failure just becomes sort of like the expected and when we expect something to happen we often turn it into a self-fulfilling prophecy 
And so, like you said, it's all about how do you think more realistically, not overly negative or not overly positive, but just in a more realistic manner so that you can see both the pros and the cons and then move forward in a, in a way that's most likely going to help you succeed. So we've covered four out of the 13 so far. I'm going to bring up one last one, the fifth one here, and certainly you'll have to check out the book if you want to hear the other ones, uh, read the other ones. Um, but I really love this one, and it's one that I, I kind of had as a kind of a, a subconscious motto, that you know, and that is you, you can't worry about pleasing everyone. Um, I, I like to please those people that I really care about that are important to me. Um and, or that I've made a commitment to, but there are definitely people who you have no control over, you have people who are difficult personalities, who aren't any benefit in being in your life that you just can't worry about pleasing them. And yet, I meet so many people that they spend all of their time trying to please every single person who they come in contact with. And here's you're pretty stressed out and unhappy, is it? You know, how can people get past, you know, kind of worrying about this, this, this scenario? Sometimes it's a matter of just saying no, because I have worked with so many people over the years where it's just ingrained in them to say yes when somebody asks them for a favor or to do something or uh, to whether it's a professional task or a personal request, but they just say, oh, okay, sure, because they want to be nice people. So sometimes it's a matter of just changing your script a little bit so that when somebody asks something of you to say, you know, I'll think about that and I'll get right back to you. And then at least give yourself a minute to think, do I want to do this or not? And sometimes that can really be helpful. And then sometimes it's also about figuring out, well, if I decline a request, is this person still going to going to like me? Are they going to be angry? And it's really an experiment. And I encourage a lot of people to just try saying no to something. If somebody asks you to be on an extra committee and you don't want to do it, just say no and see what happens. And the truth is, most people really don't care that much about what you do. And and I also talk to people a lot about how our desire to, to please everyone is, also, is usually this really self-centered sort of selfish need and people will be surprised to hear that because they'll say well I say yes to everything because I want to be selfless but really when you're saying yes to everything it's about trying to suck up all all the attention and all the um, accolades and praise that you can instead of just being able to say well no what am I what am I saying no to by saying yes to everything else whether people get um, caught up in saying yes to all their friends requests so they're neglecting some sort of duty in their life or or they're going out and doing things and they're losing sight of their values and it's really about coming back to figuring out what do I want to kind of a life do I want to create for myself and how do I live according to my values and part of that is knowing that not everybody's going to agree with your decisions and and being a mature mentally strong person is about accepting that and that that's okay not everybody has to like what you do yeah, absolutely, and it really, you know, it can be difficult for people to think about that stuff. Um, it's funny because I will talk, uh, in my talks about culture, we talk about saying yes all the time as leaders, try to find a way to say yes. It can be yes and or yes but, but I think in those in those one-on-one relationship things, I've had some success in saying maybe most of the time so that I have that opportunity to think about it. I'm not saying no, I'm not being kind of closed off to new things or change. But that's kind of been my way to, to deal with it, is to say maybe, and then, you know, go back and think about it and uh, go. But, you know, it's always difficult because there are people who you do want to please that are important to you. 
and maybe even that, even though it might be your best friend or your spouse or someone who you really want to say yes to, you may still have to say no because it, it's too much for you or you're overwhelmed or you have too much on your plate. And that, those situations even themselves can be very difficult, let alone, you know, someone who has a boss asking them for more and more and more, right? Yeah, and I think absolutely to be able to say maybe sometimes I'd like that to to be able to just put things on hold and know you don't have to have an immediate answer all the time and that you can take the time to really think about things and, and it is okay to push back. Often people will take as much as you're willing to give and they just keep taking more and more and more until you start to say, no, I can't do anymore. And it's okay to set those limits with people. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm wondering if there's a, uh, a book that you're reading. We talked about your great book, but maybe there's a book you're reading right now that's inspiring you that you might suggest our uh, listeners uh, pick up. Uh, the book I just started reading is Damon Jones' new book, The Power of Broke, where he's talking mm-hmm. about how being broke before he built his FUBU brand really gave him a competitive advantage because he knew what it was like not to have money, and he was so hungry and and um, just had a desire in him to be successful, and so he never gave up. And it's um, so far it's a, quite an inspirational read. Yeah, I, um, I had an opportunity to do some uh judging uh, for Miller Lite with him on entrepreneurial event and I, this was just before I had co- I think before I had come out so I've been looking forward to checking that one out it sounded like a really good book um, I'm glad you've kind of given it a good thumbs up so far so um, yeah I'm excited to, to dive out. in a little deeper yeah well I know we've talked about a lot of different things so far um, we've kind of covered the, the gamut here of some, some different areas that where people can focus on uh, their own mental strengths. If there was a particular point or idea here that maybe you think someone should have really remembered, they, they should have, this is the one thing they should have written down from today's conversation, uh, what, 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 what do you think that would be and why? Um, I guess I'd go back to the don't give away your power and to just tell yourself every day I'm in control of how I think, feel, and behave no matter what goes on around me. And I think if people could remember that in life, you can really create whatever sort of life you want to live. Yeah, yeah, that's it's great advice, and I, so I can definitely understand why people are always asking about that after your your talks or your seminars, things like that, because it's, it's a really difficult one for people to master. Well, how can people uh, learn more about you, or you, know, you have a website, or they can find your book or your talks and things like that? Where should they go? Yeah, my website is Amy Morin, M-O-R-I-N, LCSW is in licensed clinical social com, and I have lots of information about um, my book. and I um, just launched a new e course on how to build mental strength, and there's I have a blog and lots of other information. There's an example of my TED talk on there as well. Well, Amy, uh, it's been uh, really fascinating and, and fun for me to talk to you today. I really appreciate you being a guest, and uh, hopefully, we can have you uh, come back at some point if we can get. Co- schedules coordinated and maybe we'll go through the rest of the list great well thank you very much for having me all right amy uh thank you both my guests uh hopefully uh our listeners uh really gained some valuable insight from them uh, next week i will be joined by chuck blakeman chief transformation officer for crankset group and crystal huang founder of pro sky so until then do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today
You've been listening to Town Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2. 